Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. Well, as we continue to think about Jesus' prayers today, we're going to turn our attention from where we were the last two weeks looking at what we call the Lord's Prayer, to another prayer of Jesus's, which was on the night before he was crucified. And as we do so, I want to, um, we're going to be thinking a little bit about conflict and interpersonal conflict. And I think if, I think it's probably safe to say that not very many of us wake up in the morning hoping to make enemies of people all around us. There might be one or two people out there that, that really get up and get excited about making people angry, but for the most part, most of us would prefer not to have conflict. We'd prefer to have, you know, to get along and to have things go reasonably well. And yet, we know from living in the world in which we live that conflict is a part of the world in which we live, right? I mean, we, we see conflict. We see conflict in politics. We see conflict in healthcare issues. We see po- conflict in which sports team you root for or don't root for. We, we see conflict in different kinds of ways. And sometimes, as followers of Christ, that conflict comes our way when we look at the teachings and the things that God talks about in the Bible— and we compare it to the things that are happening around us in our world that are, that are sometimes pulling us in different kinds of direction. Sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's smaller things. You know, for example, it might be that, that boss that, that wants you to fudge that report to make it look a little bit better for the company when you know that by doing so, you're not exactly telling the truth. Or Maybe it comes from when the culture seems to be pulling us to to buy the fancier car or the bigger house or the more extravagant vacation when we know that that money should be spent perhaps in helping someone in need or supporting the ministry that God is doing around the world in, in our community. There are different ways in which we sense this tension in our lives, this, this pull between what the Bible says to us on the one hand and sometimes the ways that the world and the, and the, the culture around us is pulling us in the other way. It can be in big ways and it can be in small ways, but it's real. It's there. And it's not new to our day and to our culture. Jesus as he was beginning to wrap up his time on earth, there on the night before he was to go to the cross, recognized that his followers, his immediate followers, those in the room with him, would in a a few short days recognize this, this pull in some dramatic kinds of ways. And he also recognized that those of us who would follow decades and even centuries later would face this same kind of tension. And Jesus' response on that night before his betrayal, night before his crucifixion, when he could have done any number of things, part of what he did on that night was to take some time with his followers to pray and to ask for God's assistance and God's guidance for them, that they would, in the face of this tension with the world around them, that they would remain strong in the ways of God. And that in the midst of that tension, that they would remain united and would remain as one, as a witness to the world around them. And so today, as we continue in these, this series about the prayers of Jesus, we're going to read this prayer. It's actually a, a somewhat lengthy prayer, but it reminds us, it reminds us that Jesus was caring for his followers in that day. And part of this prayer is about you and me as well. So we're turning today to the Gospel of John chapter 17. And I'm going to start reading with verse 1. We read this. 
After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that, they have, that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking that you take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This prayer of Jesus in which, if you hopefully you notice there in about verse 20, where he says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. This prayer, this is one of the most direct places in Scripture where we see Jesus not only praying for those immediately in his, uh, in his proximity, his physical, in his physical proximity, but for those who would come later in time. And Jesus begins this prayer by looking to the Father and by recounting the reason that he came to the earth, recognizing that he had completed the task or was about to complete the task for which he had been sent. 
This beautiful relationship between the Father and the Son is highlighted as Jesus affirms that his life has pointed humans on planet Earth to the truth of God. In his physical presence were his followers, and he was about to complete the task that he had come to do, to teach them, and in a few short hours, to go to the Roman cross and to die for their sins, and then to rise again in a few days. But Jesus also knew that there was soon coming a time when he would not be physically in their presence any longer, where the things that he could do when he was face-to-face with them would not be available to him because he was going to be taken back to the Father. And as he departed from them, as he departed from their physical um, proximity to retake his place of glory, he knew, he knew that that was not going to be an easy time for his followers. Because it's one thing to follow someone who's standing right in front of you, who can talk to you and can tell you what's happening. It's another thing to put into practice those things that Jesus had taught them when he was no longer there to help. In leaving, Jesus knew that there was a problem that would be created for his followers. He was not going to be there to help them. And so Jesus took this last precious time, these last few hours to do a number of different things, but most significantly, or one of the most significant things, was to pray for his followers. And he he prayed for his followers in really two specific ways. He prayed that they would be protected from the world around them. And he prayed that in the midst of the onslaught of their world, they would remain united in following after God. And as we read and ponder this prayer today, we recognize that we face some of the same obstacles that Jesus' immediate followers faced. And so this prayer, this prayer to, to remain steadfast in the face of a world that sometimes pulls us away from the things of God, and the prayer to remain united in the face of that world are real concerns and prayers for us this day as well. So how about that first of those, of those two things that Jesus prayed for? Praying for protection for his followers while they were in the world. Now, there's this word world, if you notice as we were reading through this prayer, the word world is used a number of different times, and it's used really in two distinct kinds of ways. On the one hand, the world is the place in which we live, the material world in which we live, planet Earth. That's one sense of the word world that we see here in this passage. And all of us who are human, who have lived on this earth, we understand there are certain things that are just part of living on this earth, material things. We need to eat and drink and sleep and have clothing and all these kinds of things that are just a part of the world in which we live. Jesus was no exception. He experienced the physical planet earth in a lot of those different ways. But Jesus also uses the word world in this prayer to describe the systems and the pools around us that are counter to the things of God. And in this sense, in this way of using the word world, Jesus is not part of the world. And we are who his followers are also not part of the world. And the challenge sometimes is to know the distinction between the two. Sometimes it's pretty clear when when the world is telling us to do something that's going contrary to God's word, but sometimes that line can be a little bit more difficult to understand. Take, for example, clothing, which one of the things that I just mentioned is a significant part. I mean, we're all sitting here wearing clothing. It's It's a part of what it means to be a human being. We need to have clothes. Living in planet Earth, living in the world in that sense, we need clothing. But there's also a sense in which our clothing can be used to pull us away from God, 
There's a materialism around clothing, right? A materialism in our world and our culture that says that it's not just enough to have the basic needs, but that we need to have the, the most extravagant clothing, the most richly tailored clothing, the most uh, obscene amounts of clothing. And the problem comes when, you know, when sometimes something that's as basic as clothing can sometimes pull us in a way that's, that's contrary to the things of God. And that line isn't always clear, is it? I mean, when does, the, when does the, the, the amount of clothing cross a line where it goes from being a part of necessity to a, a, a materialism that's really pulling us away from God? Is it five pairs of clothing? Fifty pairs of clothing? Five hundred pairs of clothing? Or, or maybe it's, you know, the, the $10 pair of pants or the $100 pair of pants or the $10,000 pair of pants. I, I don't know where exactly where that line is, but there's, there's a line somewhere in there. And that's just one example of where this, this tension can exist. We live in a world, a world in which there are material things that we need to exist, and that is a part around us, and that Jesus experienced, and that's, that's a good world. But we also live in the world in, a, in ways that pull us against the things and nature of God. Jesus said he was leaving this physical world. And in leaving this physical world, his followers were going to sense this tension to a greater degree. And he was praying that God would give them the strength and the understanding to know the difference. But one of the things that's alluded to in this prayer and that we might think would be the case would be, if it's going to get difficult, if it's going to get tough, why didn't Jesus, when he went back to heaven, why didn't he just take all of his followers with him? And, and Jesus alludes to that in this prayer. And he specifically says that, that he's not praying that they will be taken out of the world, but that they will remain in the midst of this world that he knows is going to be a challenge for them to live out and exhibit the truths that he had been teaching about. Why would it be possible? What reasons would Jesus give, would God give, for us to remain in this world when Jesus knew how challenging sometimes those tensions were going to be? Well, one reason— one reason might be that he, that he called for his followers to remain there is that, in a sense, it, it highlights the greatness and the glory of God. Well, that may sound contradictory, but here's the thing. Oftentimes, the greatness of something is really only appreciated when it's contrasted to the opposite. Did you ever, did you ever think about that? Sometimes, if all you have is, is one way of having something— you, you, you don't know whether it's good or bad or indifferent. If you've only ever eaten a piece of food one particular way, you don't know whether that's a good way to eat it or a bad way to eat it or, or somewhere in between. And there's an example from the sports world that I think kind of brings this out a little bit. You, you can go on a Friday night in the fall to a, a high school football game, a number of different schools around here. Some of those teams are really good. And you can watch that football game and you can see that the skill level is pretty high. And you can think, wow, it, it just can't get any better than that. I mean, this is, this is the height of what it means to play football. But then if you go that following Sunday to an NFL game in, in a neighboring city, you're going to quickly recognize that as good as you might have thought the football was on Friday night, it's at a completely different level on Sunday. These are professional athletes. They're bigger, stronger, faster. In theory, they can play the game better and, and do things in a, in a better kind of way. It was in the contrast that you see the distinction. You see which one is good and which one is not so good. And at a certain level, by remaining in this world and by recognizing the contrast between the ways of God and the truths of God and the ways of this world, in a sense, we who are followers of Christ can recognize the greatness, the glory, the majesty of God when it's compared to the world 
in which we live. That's one way, one reason perhaps that God allowed his followers to remain. But Jesus says there's also a second reason. And that is that it's not so much for the people that are already followers of Christ, but it's for the people all around who haven't yet received that forgiveness, that hope, that new life and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it's again in seeing this contrast, seeing the difference, that they recognize that there's good news. There's a, a, a life with a, a creator God who loves them more than they can begin to imagine. And they're invited in to that relationship. Jesus recognized that there would be a tension for his followers. And that tension between the world in which they lived and the teachings and truths of God. And it wouldn't be limited just to the people who were living in the day and time in which he lived. It would extend down through the centuries to you and to me. But Jesus prayed for us. He prayed that the Father would give us strength and hope to stand in the midst of that tension, to stand in the midst of that opposition, to stand in the midst of that which would seek to pull us away from the truth. And the good news for us is God responded to that prayer. The Holy Spirit came and is with us this day, guiding us and directing us. On the night of his betrayal, one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed, prayed that his followers, including us, would have the strength to stand in a world that would many times seek to pull them away from the truth of God. Jesus also prays for his followers in a second significant way. He asked that the Father would help those followers be one as Jesus and the Father are one. In essence, Jesus is praying that his followers would be united. Now, there's a lot that we can talk about, and we're going to get into a number of different ways about what does this mean. But one of the things that it doesn't mean right off the bat is that, all of, that Jesus is not praying that all of his followers would be uniform, that they would be exactly the same. And it doesn't take us very long looking at the body of Christ to recognize that it's in many ways not uniform. There are, you know, different, different, um, different nationalities, different, different people groups, different ways of looking at the world, different perspectives on the world around us. There's all kinds of different ways in which the body of Christ is made up of many, many different uh, individuals and groups of people. And so when Jesus talks that we would be one as, as, as Father and Son and Holy Spirit are one, he's not praying that we would all be uniform. But what he is praying is that we would come together around the common grace and hope and new life of Christ. The core message of the gospel, that we would be united around that truth, those basic tenets, and the midst of that core, in the midst of what it is that draws us together, we would be a witness to the world that's around us. The question can sometimes be raised, though, is what makes up that core? I mean, what is it that is at the, the core definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ? And sometimes when we think about this, not only in the church, but in other kinds of places, you can kind of go to, to two extremes when you think about what is it that, that, that forms the identity of, of whatever the group is. On, on the one hand, that core can be very, very broad. So broad that it's, it almost ceases to describe anything. So, for example, if we had the group, and we're going to start this brand new group, and it's going to be all human beings who think that it's better to breathe oxygen versus carbon dioxide, that would hopefully be a pretty big group, right? I mean, any of us that want to remain alive would be a part of that group because we humans need to breathe oxygen and not carbon dioxide. So if, if we define, if we said that the, that the core of what we believe is, is something like that, it, it really kind of ceases to mean anything, right? On the other hand, 
you can sort of take it down to like 100,000 different single points, and we say we all have to agree on every single one of these points, and if we don't agree on all of these points all the way down to the end, then we're not, that, that, you know, the core is all of these 100,000 different points. That would be problematic as well. It's kind of like there was, a, there was an illustration that came out a couple of years ago and was voted the funniest joke of all time, uh, the f- funniest Christian religious joke of all time. And you may have heard it. Um, it's been used, I think, uh, it's been used here, I think, before. But, um, you, so you may have heard this, but it really makes this point well. And it says, once there was a man who struck up a conversation with a visitor from a distant town. And during the course of that conversation, the visitor ex- expressed great anxiety. Nobody loves me. To which the first man, the, the man who this was his hometown, said, well, God loves you. Do, you. do you believe in God? Yes, said the visitor. Well, said the, the first man, are, are, are you a Christian or are you a Jew? He said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Me too, said the man. Are you a Protestant or a Catholic? He said, well, I'm, I'm a Protestant. Me too. What, what franchise, what denomination are you a part of? Well, I'm a Baptist. Me too. Are you a Northern Baptist or a Southern Baptist? I'm a Northern Baptist. Me too. Are you a Northern Baptist, uh, Northern Conservative Baptist or a Northern Liberal Baptist? I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Are you, are you a Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or a Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? Uh, well, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? Um, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. To which the man said, die, heretic. (laughs) It's amazing how, you know, we can all be together. We can come together on all the different points. And then if we don't agree on the last of those points, we, we can't have any kind of relationship together. Both of those extremes, when it comes to defining that core, either it's so broad that it has no meaning, or it's so narrow that that it's basically you, yourself, and you are part of the group. Neither of those are what Jesus is talking about, about bringing us together and being united. What is that core? What is it that Jesus describes? In verse 3, he gives us an idea here when he says, talks about eternal life, and he says, this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That was a shorthand version of what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the relationship with God that comes through Jesus Christ. That's at the core of what we believe. It's it's something like this. And there could be um, uh, perhaps some nuances here, but basically the core is something like this. The Bible is our source book, a guide to the truth claims about God. And in the Bible, we learn that God created the world and everything in it, including the first humans. Those humans enjoyed a closeness and relationship both between themselves and with God. It was a beautiful creation that God said was very good. But early on, those first humans chose to disobey God, following the lies of the evil one instead of God's truth. And as a result, there was a break in relationship, a break between those humans and God, between those humans and each other, and between those humans and the world around them. Sin had entered the picture and had broken God's beautiful plan. And no amount of effort on the part of humans could fix that problem. All succeeding generations of humanity, including you and me, were born into this broken system. But God, in love and compassion, recognized the plight of humanity 
and responded with the only means of reconciliation possible. God came to us in human form, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on a Roman cross, taking the punishment for all of humanity, and rose again on the third day, validating his life's work. Jesus made that means of reconciliation possible between God and humans, fixing those relationships that had been marred by sin. And by receiving this gift from God and accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, each one can be restored to a relationship with God and be welcomed into God's family of believers, the church. We remain in this broken world getting glimpses of the restoration of those relationships and looking forward to the ultimate restoration which will come at some point in the future. But until then, we are brought together by God's work in our world through the power of the Holy Spirit. What is it that brings us together? It's that, it's that gospel message. It's that response of God to the impact of sin in our world. And it's in receiving that gift from God that we are brought together as followers of Christ. That, that forms that core, that forms that thing which unites us, which brings us together. There may be other theological issues that are sort of uh, secondary or third level kinds of things around that. There may be some times where there's even debates about what is part of the core and what is a secondary issue. But there is a core gospel, a core way in which God has offered to us a means of forgiveness, a means of hope, a means of relationship both with God and with one another that brings us together and that forms something around which we are invited to be united. And as we are, Jesus says here that the world around us will notice. They will recognize that there's, there's just something about those people that's a little bit different. That while we have this division all around us, in the midst of that, there are people who can gather together on the core of that, new, that message of forgiveness and hope in Jesus Christ. In such a divided society as ours, the ability of Christians to come together in unity is actually a gift. A gift to the world around us. It's not a false unity. It's not a unity that's so big that, that, we, that doesn't mean anything. And it's not a unity that's so prescribed that you can't quite even maneuver. But it is a unity that's based around the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today, as we contemplate again this prayer of Jesus, as we looked at what we call the Lord's Prayer last week, and as we continue this with another prayer of Jesus next week, we examine in this prayer, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus' prayer of concern for his immediate followers and concern for you and me down through the generations who would follow after. He was not only concerned about each one of us, but he was also concerned about our lives together as they witness to the world in which we live. I don't know about you, but I find that to be an incredibly comforting thing. That in the midst of all the turmoil that he was about to face, that Jesus looked to the Father and he prayed for that, for that help for his immediate disciples and for me and for you. And we recognize a little bit later in the book of Acts that God the Father answered that prayer, sending the Holy Spirit to be present with us, to guide us, to give us the strength to stand against the pools of the world that surround us, and to be in our midst, uniting us around the core gospel of hope and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. May we take the comfort of Jesus' presence and help, and may we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us as we seek to live in the midst of this world. Amen. Lord God, we thank you today. We thank you today that you are present. We're thankful today that you came and were an example for us. But we're also thankful, Lord, that as you went back into heaven, 
Father heard your prayer and sent the Holy Spirit to guide us and to direct us. Lord, we recognize on a daily basis that there are things in the, community, in the culture and the world around us that seek to pull us away from your truth, seek to pull us in directions that, that are contrary to what you would have us to live and to be. May we receive and recognize the strength and help that you give to us, not only to continue to be a witness for you by how we live, but also how we relate to one another, being united around the truth of your gospel and of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Lord God, on this day, there are so many ways in which we see the brokenness of our world, the brokenness physically, the brokenness of relationships, the brokenness in communities and, and at the world at large. And we pray, Lord God, for your continued intervention in our world. May you bring healing where it is needed, where you need bring help for the physical illnesses and diseases, for those broken relationships. And may you bring us together as your followers that the world may see the hope that is in us. Lord God, thank you today for your presence with us. Thank you for the ways that you do guide us. And thank you that one of the ways that we can be united is in praying the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.